Welcome all to the first Sports Talk with Roman Medina podcast today. February 4th, 2019, day after the big Super Bowl 53. Well, what did we see in Super Bowl 53? We saw Tom Brady and the New England Patriots win yet again another Super Bowl. Now they're at number six. And questions start to be asked that are the Patriots considered the most dominant or the best NFL or sports franchise ever? And you know, it's very interesting because when you think about it, you look at all the teams in the NFL. Brady has won more championships than 30 teams, 30 NFL franchises. Basically every NFL franchise except for the Pittsburgh Steelers, whom he has tied with six. If you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have won six championships. They won four with Terry Bradshaw, one with Bi- uh, Terry Bradshaw, and then one with the Bill Coward Ben Roethlisberger team, and one with a Mike Tomlin Ben Roethlisberger team. So when you look at it, quite frankly, you're wondering, well, that team that won six championships won it with three different coaches and two different quarterbacks at the helm. New England Patriots have won it with one coach and one quarterback consistently. And it becomes interesting because it's like, well, maybe they could just be an era where they've been the most dominant. Because in the last, what, 18 years, they've won all six of their championships. Before they won their championships, the New England Patriots weren't much of a very notable, very um, successful franchise. And now here they are. They've ridden their success up. They've started to become more notable. They've started to win more Super Bowls. They've been constant playoff, almost a constant playoff team. A team that you start to look at and you start to wonder, well, how far can they go? And will they be there at the end of the year? And well, it doesn't really matter what they do in the regular season. As long as they make the playoffs, they're fine. And they're in probably the easiest division in football. So they're going to make the playoffs. And this team shows time and time again. That the road games do not bother them in the playoffs. They may lose in the road or on the road in the post in the regular season, but in the postseason they don't. That does not matter. So for me, I would definitely say the Patriots are the most dominant NFL franchise and quite frankly sports franchise, because when you look at it, sure the Yankees have won so many. World Series, and they won it so, in so many in a row. The Celtics won so many in a row. But what the Patriots have done, with their constant success and everyone constantly thinking, well, that team can be there at the end of the day. That team will be there at the end of the day. And now you're looking at these last 18 years, this this Patriots team, I'm not going to say the most dominant NFL franchise. I'll change that. I'll say that they're the, this, is, this is the most successful sports dynasty, a Patriots dynasty of these last 18 years where they've been incapable of losing, where they've shown such vast success. They've shown to the world what they can truly do, what can be done. And that cannot go unnoticed because that team has been so constantly successful. Bill Belichick has shown us time and time again why he's the best coach. And arguably his biggest coaching competition this year, if you will, Sean McVay of the LA Rams, who they played in the Super Bowl last night, Pretty much got out coached by a very, very, very good, all-time great, arguably, coach in Bill Belichick. Another thing about this team that was interesting was 
Final score of this one was what? 13-3. And a lot of people really expected this game to be high scoring, to be an offensive match. Because people continually think that offense is like, well, yes, it's the new breed. And people continually think that the best offensive team wins. And quite honestly, this year the Pats offense throughout the regular season wasn't better than the Rams offense. Their defenses were about equal. But you look at this game, and this game is the perfect explanation of defense wins championships. Not that the New England Patriots had the best defense the entire season. Because I'd be lying to you if I told you that. They didn't. The Chicago Bears statistically had the best defense all season. But what the Pats had was they had the best defense in the most crucial game of the season. Because yes, I'll give you an example. The AFC Championship game, their defense was okay. They let Pat Mahomes do his scoring. They let Pat Mahomes do his thing. But at the end of the game, what we saw was two offenses go at it. And we saw Brady out out sling, if you will, Mahomes, and then he got the ball in overtime. You never want Brady to have the ball in overtime when a touchdown wins it. But in this game, we saw two quarterbacks that didn't necessarily play very well. They didn't really have exceptional games except for maybe Brady's fourth quarter, the one drive when he went down and got them in the end zone. But he wasn't the one throwing the ball in the end zone. He had a key pass to Gronk that got them there. But what was interesting about that was you look at it, And you really, really start to look into that game and you say, well, that game wasn't offensive-based. That game was defensive-based, 100%. The defense is what won them that game. Holding the LA Rams offense that was so, so viewed as dominant this year. And they hold that offense to three points the entire game. In a 13-3 win. And yes, Jared Goff had his moments where he had a couple passes that were in the end zone. That got dropped or that they couldn't finish the playoff. But really, there was, there was not a single play for the LA Rams. In the red zone. All game yesterday. At all. The Pats were in the red zone on that, on that drive when they scored the touchdown. That was it. So when you look at that. It, it really is interesting because it makes you think that. Well, maybe defense is big again. And maybe defense is still a factor. And everyone who thought defense wasn't a factor anymore, well, that Super Bowl proved that defense is a factor. It was, it was quite incredible to see in that game what occurred, as I said earlier. Because I'll give you this, this stat for example. Tom Brady, who's considered and is the greatest player of all time in the NFL, with all of his accolades, all of his stats, and now his six Super Bowl rings, he went 21 for 35 with 262 yards, passing, no touchdowns and an interception. And before I go into the stats, the interception, yes, was not his fault. It was deflected by Chris Hogan. It was a good defensive setup by the Rams, and they caught the ball. They basically. I feel like they kind of threw the Pats off a little bit on their defensive coverage. But then Chris Hogan tried to make up for it. And he deflected the ball. And it ended up in the Rams defender's hand. It was Littleton who had that pick, I believe. So when you look at that, that's not a great Tom Brady game. 
But what was great was that fourth quarter drive that got them down there. That got them in the end zone. Including that pass to Gronk that got them at like the one yard line. And led to a Sony Michelle running for the only touchdown of the game. On the reverse end, Jared Goff. Him as a quarterback and you look at his stats. He's 19 for 38. So he completed 50% of his passes. On 229 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. So he didn't have necessarily a great game either. But again, you look at that. When did his interception come up? Because you want to look at the difference between the two quarterbacks. Tom Brady's interception was his first pass of the game. That first drive they ran, was working, he switches to a pass. The Rams adjusted, holding this to the flex, and he picks it up. Jared Goff's interception was right after the Pats go down and score a touchdown. I had a feeling watching that game. Right after the Pats scored, I had a feeling that the, that, that was all that was needed. Was that, was that one touchdown was going to be the determining factor. Because I knew that the Rams, again, another factor that's big in games. With their inexperience, were going to, to come into that drive. Nervous, knowing that they were down a touchdown. Even though they had time, plenty of time on the clock. And they were going to make a mistake and turn the ball over. And sure enough, that's what Jared Goff did. Now, is Jared Goff a bad quarterback? No. He's just young and he's inexperienced. And that's what happens to young inexperienced quarterbacks on the big stage. Most of the time. That doesn't mean that Jared Goff is going to have a bad career. That doesn't mean that it just means that Jared Goff had the inexperience in that one game. But to me, the thing about that game offensively. That was so bothersome. Was what the Rams did. In terms of running the ball. Todd Gurley. Who was at one point this year. Considered an MVP candidate. Ran the ball 10 times for 35 yards. And CJ Anderson. Who was prominent towards the end of the regular season. And prominent in their win against the Cowboys. And even had his tiny moments. Against the Rams. Had his seven carries for 220, or excuse me, for 22 yards. That also is like, so you run the ball a combined 17 times against a Pats D this year that had been 11th against the rush. And then you almost chicken out because last week you were playing the second best run rush defense in New Orleans and you ran the ball 20 times. So, I know you didn't get a lot of yardage when you ran it 17 times. But I feel like if you had ran it more, maybe as the Rams, they could have had more success because they they, they could have tried it at least. They could have seen it because they kept on passing. They kept on making these plays and it wasn't working. I felt like they didn't mix it up enough. And I really feel like Sean McVay didn't utilize Todd Gurley to his fullest of potentials. Todd Gurley being the player that he is. And that's what was disappointing to watch. Was that Todd Gurley and CJ Anderson didn't get used. Because Sony Michelle by himself had one more carry than both of those two guys combined. Against a decent Rams rush defense. Where Sony Michelle got 18 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. So to me, I, I'm, I'm bringing up the question of... Had... LA ran the ball more. 
would they have seen more success in the game? Because then you start switching things up more. You start... Because look, they, they passed the ball 38 times. New England only passed it 35. So 38 times to 17 rushes. The Pats knew most of the time the ball was going to be in Jared Goff's hands. Him trying to pass it to someone. Whereas if he had mixed it up, started passing the ball more, Pats could have been left with more questions, not knowing whether there's going to be a rush or a pass more often. And I felt like they made it pretty simple that there was a pretty good chance that the ball was going to end up being passed by Goff. And Goff, being the quarterback that he is, fell into the pressure trap. And that, amongst other things, is what cost the Rams the game. I also feel like they had a couple of dumb and foolish turnovers. Or not turnovers, penalties that cost them the game too. Some penalties that on plays that pushed them back, made it hard for yardage, or they gave the Pats a couple first downs here and there. It's like young teams are going to have those issues. And now it really brings up the question of, again, the Saints lose two weeks ago in a very tough manner. And you really start to wonder, is would the Saints, like they would have last year, if they had lost to the Vikings, everyone said, well, would the Saints have beaten the Eagles? And would we have seen the Saints-Pats Super Bowl, Brady Breeze, that everyone's been waiting for? Now, this year, there was the infamous, or the famous, I should say, pass interference call. Or, non-called pass interference call. That basically forced the Saints to kick a field goal and then lose the game in overtime. And I understand you have the whole thing with Drew Brees throwing his interception in overtime. But the game would have probably never gotten to overtime had that call been made. But that's a whole different story. What I was trying to say was, is that when you're looking at it, you're wondering, well, maybe again we didn't get to see Breeze versus Brady. What would have happened in that game? I'm inclined to believe, I'm not saying that the Pats would have lost. What I'm trying to say is that I think the Saints could have scored more points. Could have put the Pats under more pressure. Maybe could have put the Pats to have to play from behind like they did against the Falcons, what? Two two Super Bowls ago? So you never know. It's always It's always interesting to see because like you never get to see these scenarios and you always wonder. And I'm wondering now. Yes, the Rams are a good team, but they have a bright future. They have a young coach, a young quarterback, a young running back, a young defense outside of really Tlaib. And so you really wonder, well, they have years, but the Saints' time is ticking. And as much as New England fans hate to admit it, the Pats' time is ticking. Brady's getting up there. Belichick's getting up there. Gronk's most likely going to retire. So when you really think about it that way, it's like it's you're starting to wonder is, we're closing out on that gap to see that Brady Breeze matchup that everyone wants to see. And we're also starting to we're, we're not gonna see it and, and it's like, well, maybe the Patriots wouldn't have this all these hypotheticals. But hypotheticals are hypotheticals, so you can't really say that. I'm just to me it was just it was something that I was wondering about. That's just how I saw it. But credit to the Pats, again, as I said, I I respect Tom Brady, greatest quarterback ever, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach ever, and they both played, but Belichick, in all honesty, as Sean McVay admitted, outcoached Sean McVay. Brady played, not really Brady-esque, but he did what he needed to do down the stretch to defeat the Rams. By that meaning, he got the touchdowns 
the he got the team to his team to get a touchdown in the fourth quarter with that drive that in essence won them the game. And yes, you say Gostowski had that other field goal. But it was 13-3. That was at the end of the game. It was after a pick. It was just a, so to speak, nail in the coffin. And then with about 5-10 seconds left, Greg Zerline misses his field goal from 40-something yards out. But again, that would have made it 13 sits with 5 seconds left. You basically need an onside kick recovery and a Hail Mary to even think about winning that game. And then you would have to go for two to win it. You have to go for the one to tie it. So in all essence, that game was over. Once Gostowski hit that determining field goal. So that's so that was the Super Bowl, and it was it was a great game to watch. It really had its great moments, and I know a lot of people like offensive games, and they're calling this the worst Super Bowl ever. But it was really a defensive battle, a great old-fashioned defensive battle, and it really showed you that. Maybe offense isn't the future. Maybe offense isn't all that that everyone thinks it is. Because there wasn't much offense in this game. It was mainly a defensively fought game. So now I want to turn over to the NBA and get to a different topic. So, the week leading up to the trade deadline, really nothing major had happened. Until the Mavericks and Knicks trade happened. Because, like, games have been playing along, okay? You know, teams are supposed to win or winning. LeBron James came back, played one game, and now he's sitting because, you know, he's still recovering from his injury, so he's limited. So, really, there isn't much to talk about the NBA in terms of big news. Plus, the more important part of the NBA is the trade deadline that's upcoming. And Anthony Davis and his whereabouts is where he'll be come the trade deadline are still unknown. So, there can't be any really talk about that it's all speculations right now and I really don't want to go into the big speculations now I'd rather save that for another time because I really want to focus on the on the what we know aspect of it which is that the Mavs acquired Kristaps Porzingis Tim Hardaway Courtney Lee and Trey Burke in what went down as probably one of the biggest shocking trades because last week we saw Kristaps Porzingis say that he and the Knicks had a meeting, and basically the conclusion of the meeting was that Kristaps didn't say it, but it was said. Was that Kristaps didn't want to be there and that he wanted to be traded. And all of a sudden, that was like big news. And we're seeing a bunch of teams that are looking for trade options. And then we hear that he goes to the Mavericks. And all year, we hadn't heard a single thing about the Mavericks in terms of teams that might sign him. In terms of teams he might even get traded to. And the Dallas Mavericks end up getting him, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, and Trey Burke for DeAndre Jordan, Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Matthews, the rights to Ray Spalding, who was a G League player. And I believe it was a first-round pick later on in time. So again, we're looking at it. It's so interesting because this trade, I guess it helps both sides. As much as Mavs fans want to think that they won the trade, or Knicks fans want to think, oh, we got rid of Chris Stops, he didn't want to be here, we got rid of Tim Hardaway Jr., who had a big contract, we got rid of blah, 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 so on and so forth. I'm going to break it down for both sides. If you look at the Mavericks side of things, 
the Mavericks had all this cap space and free agency. And they knew that the one thing that they needed was a superstar caliber player to go alongside Luka Doncic, who has been a phenomenal rookie, who is hands down rookie of the year. You wanted a counterpiece, a sidekick to him. And you wanted another piece, you know, with him. You also have Harrison Barnes who's been a good player. And they have a bunch of other young players. So they decided, why not get Kristaps Porzingis now? Instead of having to worry about getting a... Um, instead of having to worry about trying to get someone in free agency when Dallas isn't the biggest market. Why not get a Kristaps Porzingis who has been compared to a Dirk who is, who is most likely retiring at the end of the season who's been their franchise player for years. Why not match him and Luka up together? And, yeah, Kristaps is a free agent at the end of the year, but he's a restricted free agent. So whatever any team offers Kristaps, the Mavs can match. Or they can just offer him a deal on their own. But the problem is you run the risk if you say, oh, we'll see one year, see how you come back. Then you run the risk of having to try to sign him again the next year. But that's not the point. The point is they get Kristaps, and then they get Tim Hardaway Jr., who is a good shooting guard and a good role player. Yes, his contract is big. Yes, that hurts the Knicks. But again, they got Kristaps, who is a good player, who seemingly is already enjoying the fact that he's there because he and Luca are friends. They get along. And he and Dirk are friends. They get along. And him and Dirk will at least have a year here. And then you get Courtney Lee and Trevor, who again are more like bench role players. So the Mavs definitely got some depth, definitely got some good pieces to add to, to their team. And they'll have enough money in free agency to sign a role player. Like a Nikola Mirotic, like a Julius Randle, etc. So that worked out perfectly for them too. Now on the other side, for the Knicks, you get rid of Kristaps who didn't want to be there. Who would have probably just been a burden. Because if you let him go, you don't get anything for him. But if you try to restrict it, but if you use the restricted clause on him and you, and you match his contract, he's not going to want to be there. You don't know how much he's going to play. So you get Dennis Smith Jr., who you should have drafted in the draft two years ago in the first place over Frank Nidalekina, who is an okay player. I just believe the Knicks don't know how don't don't know how to use a lot, utilize him, and he hasn't found his shot yet in his niche in the NBA. But anyways, you get a Dennis Smith Jr., who's a young point guard who's gonna be there for a couple years. You get a Wesley Matthews, who is a role-playing shooting guard, who apparently they may waive. But again, that just clears up cap space, which I'll get to in a second. You get Ray Spaulding, who is a potential young player. So so there's that chance. And then you get a first-round pick at some point. And a first-round pick is a first-round pick. It's nice to have. And then you got DeAndre Jordan, who at the end of the year, his contract is up. I don't think they'll re-sign him. But at least you have something for the year, which is important. So the Knicks are also going to have a ton of cap space, too. In New York, which is a market that is very easy to get star players to go to. So now you start to wonder of who's going to go there. If the Kevin Durant's are going to sign, if Kyrie's going to sign, or who, or someone else. I don't know. This is just all every all the rumors that are being said. So now you start to wonder about, well, maybe the Knicks made a good trade too. Because at the end of the day, they got rid of a player that didn't want to be there. You got yourself a young point guard, as I said already many times. And you've cleared up your cap space. So... It's not about who won and who lost the trade, because this trade, like most trades, have benefits for both sides. So you cannot be disappointed with the outcome of the trade. Alright, so that's all I have for you guys today. 
please continue to tune into my podcast. I'll try to post about two times a week, probably once at the beginning of the week and once at the end of the week, like a Friday or a Saturday. And please tune into my radio shows on 90.9 WMPG Portland Dorham Wednesday nights from 8 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. as I will be probably touching up a little bit on the Super Bowl and, you know, get into some more NBA stuff, probably get into more Anthony Davis hypotheticals. And I will continue to talk my soccer. So thank you for listening and see you next time.